welcome to the GMC podcast, a place where you can listen to the weekly word from God and other highlights from the team at GMC, Gillespie Memorial Church in Dunfermline, Scotland. This podcast brings you the sermon series, Malachi, Sin and Grace in Close Proximity, a response to Jesus. In six oracles, enclosed either side by a prologue and an epilogue, Malachi sits as the last book of the Old Testament, and he looks back to the Old Testament, assuming, summarising and applying the message of God. But he also looks forward to the New Testament, with its promise of the coming reign of God. Over eight weeks, we will seek to encourage you to respond to God's persistent words, I have loved you and to his faithfulness, and hopefully to help you understand and take heed of the warnings in Malachi, and so respond to the good news of Jesus. Now before the word from God, we will lead you in a time of prayer. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day, and we thank you that you are our Father. Just imagine we can call Almighty God, Creator God, Healing God, Merciful God. We can call you Abba, Father. You are our Father. And as a family, as your children, we gather here this morning and we bring you our worship. We bring you our lives, we bring you our hearts, we give you our hopes and dreams, we bring all of it. We bring you our pains and our worries and our sorrows. We bring it all into the house of God. Because this is a safe place, but this is also an unsafe place. Because we want the Holy Spirit to come and move amongst us. We want your name to be high and exalted. We want to be a people who are so distinct from the world that others are drawn to this difference, to this hope, to this light, to this excitement. Lord, let us be excited about our faith. We thank you for yesterday and the vision that was sown amongst us and for realizing that we are all gifted. We thank you, Lord, that your word says you love us, that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Thanks be to God. You love us. You are our Father and you love us. And will you please forgive us when we accuse you of not loving us or of not being a loving God? If God were so loving, why would all of these things happen? We know why bad things happen. We know that sin has altered everything in the world. But you are a father of restoration, a father that loves to restore, reconcile, heal, build up. You take your children who believe they're worthless, they've got nothing to offer. You take their lives and their story and you say, let me make something good out of this. Let me work it together for good. So we thank you that you are a loving father. You love us. And we come this morning with just a fraction of that love to give you back because we love because you first loved us. So hear us as together we say the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Following the time of prayer, I hope your heart is prepared to receive from God's word that you are open to be reached wherever you are today. If anything you hear from our preacher today, from the word of God and the sermon challenges you, may be raising questions, then please feel free to contact us. If you want to know more about how we can support you in your faith, or indeed answer questions of faith, we'd love to help you get to know the Lord and go deeper with him. Or maybe you'd like to support GMC financially in our ministry for the kingdom. If so, then please get in touch through our contact us page of our website, gillespiechurch.org, or via our Facebook page. Whatever you need, contact us. We'd love to hear from you. Now, over to our preacher. So let's go to the word of Malachi. Um, and just to... Uh, reiterate from last week what I talked about was that uh, this oracle, this uh, word of the Lord uh, from Malachi is to the church. It was to the Israelites, it was to the people of Israel, and it is to our church today. As I'm uh, speaking of God's word from Malachi, think about it in our church context here, the prophetic call. So let's hear the word from uh, chapter 1, verses 2, 3 to 4. Two through to five. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau's Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste to his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord says, of Ho- Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Thanks be to the God for the reading of his holy word. Amen. So let me tell you a story. Twin brothers from long ago. The younger was blessed by God from birth. The first one out of the womb. Not blessed. Sounds harsh, doesn't it? But then God knew the heart of the older one. Really, of course, both had their faults. Neither was perfect. The older had sold his expected birthright to his sibling for a plate of food. The younger, well, he gladly took that birthright. Their father favoured the older son. Perhaps a natural attitude for the society then, which placed so much emphasis on the oldest male. Yet mum sided with the younger one. She plotted with her own younger 
uh, child, this younger twin, to ensure the youngest received this final blessing from his dying dad, deceiving dad in the process. Doesn't sound very good, does it? And then through the ages, on the descendants of the younger one, we see the blessings of God being poured out upon his descendants. But the descendants of the older one, well, not so much. Of course, I'm speaking of Jacob and Esau, the twin boys of Isaac and Rebekah, the story found in Genesis 25, verse 19 onwards. And it's a story that then plays out through the whole Old Testament. In the fullness of time, Jacob, the younger son, becomes the father to the 12 sons, the tribes of Israel that I referred to last week in the introduction to this series on Malachi. Then the older one, Esau, is not blessed by God. His descendants, the Edomites, well, they were not part of God's blessing. They were not the elect of his love. And this is the story Malachi refers to in this opening oracle, this word of the Lord. And it's a, a story that to modern sensibilities can seem a bit harsh, a story where we have people questioning God's love. Is God loving when he turns away from someone, condemns them and their descendants? Is he a loving God? Yet the words of this opening oracle are, I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you, says the Lord. Well, what is love? Can we define love? Well, I picked up a dictionary, and yes, we can. It says, love is an intense or strong feeling of deep affection. There were a couple of other definitions. It's a great interest or pleasure in something, you know. You love music, you love football or whatever. Or it's the object of your love, the love of my life. My wife. Love, it's an intense feeling. There's, it, it's that rush of dopamine, the, the adrenaline of love. And it has words like tenderness, affection, intimacy, endearment, adoration, passion, ardour. You don't hear that word much these days. The ardour of my heart. Desire, lust, infatuation, besottedness. I think I could go on. There are so many words for love. And, it, and I'll tell you how much it matters to humans. Think about how many songs are written about love. Do you know it's been estimated that there have been more than 100 million songs about love? Wow, that's a lot of songs. And there's only so many themes. There's new love. There's time-tested love. There's songs about breaking up. Then there's songs about making up, forgiveness, and getting back together songs. And of course, in all genres of music, from jazz to rap, disco and pop, through to opera and country. So what is it about love and us humans? What is it? Well, I believe it's because we have an inherent desire, a need to be loved. We are created for relationship, for love. So for me, the question is not what is love, but it should rather be is who do we love? 
Who do we love? And this opening oracle from Malai kicks off with these striking words, I have loved you, says the Lord. And this, if if you take one thing in this 5% of what you'll remember today, let this be part of it. These words, I have loved you, say, says the Lord, set the character for the rest of the book. It is in the context of God's love, I have loved you, that the whole book is written. It places at the center the word of the Lord and the revelation of his love. These oracles are not about humans, but about God. Not what we've done, but what he's done. And the problem with humans, we often make it about ourselves. It's about our feelings. It's about whether we feel loved. And do you know if we don't feel the love in the way we want the love to be felt by us, we ask that question. How have you loved us? When I was growing up, I occasionally stepped over that, you know, that line with your parents, you shouldn't step over, once or twice. Maybe a few more than that. <laughs> and then I'd come under the discipline of my father. And I, I, I do know that I occasionally thought, he doesn't love me because of the discipline. I didn't like being chastised, and, and I, I would think, why do I have to live by these stupid rules in this Weaver household? Why are there consequences for stepping beyond the boundaries? And then with age, I came to realize that it wasn't because my dad didn't love me, it was because he did. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that parents are infallible, even me. Parents are not infallible. Our way of understanding things, how they should be, even our methods of chastisement are not always correct. I know we are, we're broken and sinful and we get things wrong. But I do believe that most often, not always, but most often, parents give guidelines to their children for life and, and discipline them because they have a deep love for their children. And so it is with God. He loves us. Human rebelliousness, when we say you don't love us, is all about our feelings. It's the wrong starting point. Stating you only love me if you do so in the way that I want you to love me, affirming me in the way I want to be, That is the insidious mantra of individualism in our world. It's an individualism that ignores the sovereignty of God. It puts us in his place. Even in the church, the church doubts God. They doubt his love. Happens all over churches all over our land. We doubt God. And that leads to paralysis. Because in the church, we we neither have the courage to respond to God's love by fully proclaiming it in the world, but neither do we have the courage to refuse God's love, like many outside of the faith would do, because we don't want to lose it either. 
So God says to Israel, I have loved you. And that evidence is through this long ongoing covenant with his people, this relationship God has with them. Through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the descendants, all throughout the Old Testament, I have loved you. Just think of the words of Jeremiah 31. There's a few verses on the screen. I will be with I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. I have loved you with everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. See, I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labor. A great throng will return. They will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble. Because I am Israel's father. He loves them. And what about Lamentations? Chapter 3, starting at verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Those aren't words of doubt. Does our church wait for the Lord? Do we trust him? Do we know God's deep love and all that he has done? Do we repeat that? rousing refrain from Psalm 136, repeated throughout the psalm, his love endures forever. Or do we, like the Israelites here in Malachi, chime, how have you loved us? Despite their scriptures being laced with the evidence of God's enduring love, they still raise questions. They doubt God. They doubt God in their thoughts, in their actions, and here they are voicing doubt with their words. And why does that matter? Well, simply put, words matter. By saying, how have you loved us, they are spreading a contagion of doubt. How have you loved us? We're doubting it. We're, the, it the how in that is a, is a, is a doubtful word. How have you loved us? We're not sure. And when we voice our doubts about God to others, we're putting that doubt in other people's hearts. Just think about that. When we allow our words to doubt God, when we go into the world and we accept others using the Lord's name in vain, when we do not stand up for the Lord then we are encouraging doubt in the world. When asking, how have you loved us, what is really being said is, go on God, prove it. Prove your love to us. Show us your love right here, right now, as I want. And if we do that, we just deny all the goodness that's gone before. All of it. Is this how we treat God? Do we take the blessings that we get through our lives 
whatever stage you're in. And then when the misfortunes of life come, the difficult times, you go, actually, I'm dying, God loves me now. Despite all the stuff that may have happened in the past, forgetting the love he has already shown. It's this self-centeredness, it's these questions around how am I? Or how are we? When we ask those questions, how am I, how are we, we close our eyes to who God is. How God feels, what God thinks, says and does. Quite often when we, when we come to church, when we meet people, we go, how are you? How are you? And then we use that great word, I'm fine. Fine. That, that, that word that covers a multitude of levels of where you are in fineness. We answer that question, how are you, in terms of emotion, uh, in terms of well-being, in terms of health and wealth and happiness. You know, uh, when someone asks you the question, you're answering about how contented with your life you are. But it's the wrong question. It should not be, how are you, but rather, how are you with God? Especially in church. How's your week been with God this week? And what I'm really asking when I'm asking that, I'm not asking how your life is with God this week. I'm asking how does God feel about you this week? That might change your answer. Because it moves you from self-centeredness. Self-centeredness blinds us to who God is, what God does, both as individuals and as a church as a community of God. If humans can be so self-centered, then so can the church, because the church is made up of humans. Peter Adam, uh, in his uh, guy who's written a commentary on Malachi, writes this, a self-centered church will be a selfish church. It will have its own comfort and convenience as its aim, and its own happiness and satisfaction as its guide. Does this sound like a denomination we know today? Any of the denominations, any of the churches in the world? Are too many churches concerned about the comfort of the congregation, the comfort of the minister, our convenience, our satisfaction? Are we smug? Adams continues, it, the church, it will not convert unbelievers, care for the needy, serve its community, or raise up gospel workers for the world. It will not have glory, the honor, and gospel plan of God as its main priority. This is about a selfish church. Its selfish life will betray its selfish heart. Its selfish actions will betray its selfish instincts. I don't actually think this church is a church like that. We might have tendencies, we've got to guard against it. But just because a church cares for the needy and serves the community, you've got to ask those other two questions he asked there. What about converting unbelievers? What about raising up gospel workers for the world? I've said this before, that churches that do good social gospel work all that good social gospel work out in the community. Don't mark them out as different from any other charity doing such things. What 
marks the church is that it proclaims the good news of Jesus, bringing folk to faith through the unmerited love of God. And so we're back to love here, the love of God. Uh, An undoubted love, a love that's accepted. How have you loved us, they said. This challenge to, as I said, to prove again God's love, to show them his love. What sinful words they are. And they are, they're sinful. They're they're sinful because they blind people and bind people. They blind people to the presence of God when you continue saying, do you love me, God? It's blinding you to all the love that's gone before. Blinds you to his presence. And then it also binds you to the power of sin. It just allows that, that doubt, that sin to creep in more and more and more. When we go through hard times, there's two choices in a relationship with God. And I include the church in this and, and, and people being in church. That it's either to turn away from the church and maybe from God as well. Some people will leave church because they've, they, they, they've got a problem with the church and they, they then may also leave a relationship with God. Maybe you know someone who's rejected God outright because things didn't go as they wanted. Maybe it was an unanswered prayer or they just wanted to go their own way and they didn't like what the minister said or somebody else said or whatever. They want to go their own way despite it not being God's way. There's that kind of way. There's that choice when you doubt God's love. Or then there's the other way when you're going through hard times, which is to lean in. Lean in even more. Nestle into God. Seek him more deeply through deeper fellowship at church. Through learning, through being challenged by the word. I know people who've struggled with life, but their faith, their trust in the love of God, is what shapes them, even in adversity. So which way to go? Because do you know our thoughts shape our life? There's this quote, and it's been attributed to loads of people, but it's, sow a thought and you reap an act. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. So what destiny are we sowing as church? Are we sowing doubt, allowing ourselves to question the love of God? Or are we singing loudly of God's eternal, sovereign love? We can't do both. It's one or the other. But you may say, what about those who, uh, who don't receive God's love, the Esau's of this world? Malachi has referred to Jacob, the chosen one, and his descendants destined for this covenant relationship. And then his brother Esau and the Edomite descendants, who were cut out of the covenant, and you might say, that's not fair. Is God right to judge Edom? Well, if we read in Malachi, it says they are characterized as being a wicked country. Not a few individuals, not odd towns, a wicked country, all of them. Not a few, all of it. So is God right to judge? Well, yes. 
Still not fair, you might say. But in whose mind? We are not God. And so what right do we have to question him? I'm not God. I I will not question God. The one who raised Jesus Christ from the dead? Wow, if he can do that, I'll follow him. Even the stuff that I find hard. Because I don't have the mind of God. Nowhere near. But you also might say, well, what about Israel's wickedness? Because they were an idolatrous, sinful people too. What's the difference? Well, God made them holy. He made this people holy, despite their sinfulness. Again, you might say, how is that fair? Well, again, because he's God. He is free to choose. He is free to act in mercy and to give mercy to those he chooses. And so it is with the church today. Chosen. Through Jesus Christ, God acts in mercy to both the church and those in it. In Titus, it says, At one time we were too foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generally through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Nothing we've done because of his mercy. So how do I conclude this first oracle? Well, first I'll humbly ask you to go away again and read Malachi. It's a short book. Go and read it. Ask God to speak into your hearts. To go and challenge yourself with what I've said in church today. And ask what he is saying to your church. I'm not saying don't doubt. We all question God at times. We will disavow his call on our lives at times and go, no, not me. We will go against his work. We will have hearts of doubt. And we will expect his unconditional love in return. But that's the part. It is the great sin of the church today. To accept the socially acceptable position that it's okay for people to question God isn't, isn't right. We, we kind of go along with society. But we miss that a lot of society are not christ followers. I expect Richard Dawkins and Stephen Fry and all these people and loads more besides and people in the streets who don't know Jesus to question God, to doubt him. But do I really expect it in the church? No. Not for those who claim they are saved by the blood of Jesus. If you accept Jesus as your saviour, the son of God, as your Lord, why question God's love? Questioning the love of God just ends up with us despising God. Because if we question his love, we are despising the atonement of his dying son. We are called to serve God wholeheartedly and not live in a grey neutral zone. If we're not growing in trust in God, 
then we are shrinking in trust. If we are not dying to sin, then sin is growing in us. If we are not living in righteousness, then we are heading away from righteousness. If we are not listening to the Spirit, following his guiding, then we are walking to our own beat, our own desires. The overwhelming and the convincing proof of God's love to us is that he has not dealt with us as we deserve, but instead has offered eternal life through the mercy of Christ Jesus in his atoning death. In other words, he has not reckoned our sins against us, but accepts us in his Son. As Christ took our sins, we receive Christ's righteousness. What amazing grace that is. And I'll leave you with this one. If you think that God will be made more appealing to those outside the church by leaving the judgment stuff aside, ignoring the wrath of God, know this. If, if you leave that aside, you will also be obscuring God's love. And you might think, how? Because if you deny judgment, you are denying why Christ died. Christ died for our sins, that we might not be judged. If we deny judgment, we essentially deny why Christ died, and we deny God's enduring love for his people. It sows doubt as to the Lord's love of his people. But God does love his people. I'll leave you with this sentence from Leighton Ford. It says, God loves us the way we are, but too much to leave us that way. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have loved us. There is evidence throughout our lives, no matter what age we are and what stage of life. Father, may we always refer back to those moments in our life where we have known you're loved. Maybe it's right now we are knowing your love. But when we, uh, we have those seeds of doubts, Father, plant us in that assurance of your love through the salvation of your dying son on the cross and the empty tomb. Father, we know you love us and we thank you. Love our church. Grow us in faith, in depth of faith, in numbers. Father, glorify us in your love. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday podcast from our team at GMC Dunfermline, Scotland. If you'd like more details about who we are, what we believe and how we serve, then visit our website at gillespiechurch.org or find us on Facebook or look back at some of our videos on our YouTube channel. Just search for Gillespie Memorial Church. All inquiries can be made through the contact us page on our website by calling the office. If you'd like to support our work with a financial donation, then offerings can be made by clicking the Support Us with Stewardship icon on the homepage of the website. This has been a production of GMC, including the pastors and the tech team. All copyright remains with the producers. Today's episode was edited by Barbara Ann Hoey, and the soundtrack is Up to the Mood by Low Tree. Thank you for listening, and God bless.